strong formation with Jarrett just barely split to the left. Dominique Bird goes in the motion to the left, but a misdirection to Lendale White comes back against the grain, steps into the end zone. Touchdown, Lendale White, and touchdown, USC. USC fans, it's time to get into the game with the Peristyle Podcast. Every week you can get your Trojan football fix as the uscfootball.com staff brings you the latest on the USC football team and the inside scoop on recruiting. And now, here are your hosts of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey Hyde. Okay, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. This is episode eight of the podcast. And uh, the very first segment, as always, we're joined by the coach, Harvey Hyde. How are you doing today, coach? Ryan, it's number 10. Number 10, 10 I think, didn't it? No, we're, we're up to eight, coach. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I have to keep track of all these and uh, do all that. But yeah, so you know, it'll be 10 soon enough. But it, the time is flying. I can't believe we've done couple months worth of these episodes already hopefully you're enjoying them and uh, everyone out there is enjoying them as well well i'm enjoying them but i, I thought it was 10 but you see that that means i'm enjoying it right yeah time's flying it's going by and uh got to see <laughs> you count- <laughs> yeah i got to I'm s- counting them like players used to count spring practice days <laughs> <laughs> they're always not 10, a big coach, fan not eight. <laughs> they're uh, they're up to number five at usc five spring practices and i got to see you at the fourth one which was on uh sunday the very first day in full pads uh just want to kind of get your overall thoughts of you know what you know it's kind of a lot of hitting out there and it looked like the defense did really well but just get your overall thoughts of uh what you thought of spring practice well you know it was a normal normal first day in pads practice what i mean is I don't think they had the esprit de corps. I think people were getting used to carrying pads again. Remember, they haven't had a pad on now on the field and a helmet and shoes and the weight of a uniform since actually uh, the Rose Bowl game. They've been doing pre- or postseason uh, workouts and preseason for the next year and spring ball and all of that and doing agility drills and lifting weights, running routes, catching balls, doing all those skills. But you haven't done it with a shoulder pad on. You haven't done it with a helmet on. You haven't done it with, you know, your ankles all taped up and, and all the different things that make a difference to you when you start spring practice. And does that, does that make spring- a huge difference, Coach? Is, I mean, I've heard people that they talked about the snappers. Well, they haven't – they were snapping well until they put pads on, even the quarterbacks throwing the ball, but then they have pads on. Does it really make that big of a difference putting that equipment on? Oh, it does. It really makes a lot of difference. Because, uh, I would say all the equipment must weigh – 20, 30 pounds when you put it all together, maybe not that much because it's lighter than what it used to be. They make these now out of different materials, but it's a different uh, movement of your arm. It's a different feeling. Uh, it's a different, uh, you know, pants are on now, and you got knee pads and thigh pads and hip pads and all of the things that you're not used to, and you have to get used to them again. And you have to, snap, especially the, as you mentioned, quarterbacks, receivers getting their hands up high to catch balls. Uh, offensive lineman. Uh, it's a whole, whole different feel. And, and and when you go out the first couple of days and you're just in, in shorts and helmets and so on and, and shoulder pads, uh, you know, you're still fresh. Your legs are fresh and so on. And you're, you've been looking forward to spring practice and you're running around feeling good. And then all of a sudden here comes pad day. And you get excited about pad day, but it's the first day you're really going to go out and hit and so on. But you have to adjust to the 
to the moves and the and 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 the blocking and the live blocking against someone else and the live uh, routes and and, uh, and and pass blocking and all the different drills that we saw them do on Sunday, and and you see the first day, and you come off as a coach and you know what you say normally, Ryan. What do you say, coach? Wow, we got a long ways to go. <laughs> That, that, that's what you say. You come off and you say, wow, we didn't look very good today. The quarterbacks didn't look good. The offensive line was slow. Uh, the defensive line uh, didn't react well. Uh, uh, I don't know if we're in shape or not. We dropped a lot of passes. Our quarterbacks didn't do the reads right. And, and, and it's all because it's just starting over. You start over every spring. You gotta, you've got a whole new approach, a whole new team. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, of, of different coaching techniques. And you're throwing a lot at the kids. And the kids want to satisfy you, and they over-try or they over-lunge, and they're not relaxed, and they drop balls that they would normally uh, catch, or they line up wrong. And, and, and it's just part of it. I remember coming off after a lot of our first day of spring practice, and I'd say, wow, man, we better get better. I mean, we better in a hurry. <laughs> And maybe that might have been one of our better teams. You know what I mean? It just—it's all different, and and it takes time for the kids to come back and get their rotations in. And like when I watch the drills, I watch the pass uh, blocking drills between the outside linebackers, inside linebackers, and the offensive back. That was really feisty. You know, that was a really good drill. It was a good drill, but you know when you have when you have ten backs alternating, you get one turn every ten times, and and you're not getting the feel of of going like playing in a rhythm. You, you, you go one time, then you go back and watch nine times someone else do it. Then you get back up there and, and you're paired against somebody else. You're not blocking the same guy that you'd be normally blocking in a game. So when you get up there, you're probably blocking def- 10 different linebackers, too, that have different moves, different approaches, different ways they use a swim technique or whatever they're going to use against you. So it's not really realistic. And, and remember, the defensive player always has an advantage in those drills because they know it's pass, and they know who's going to block them. And they can just get back and tee off on the offensive back and so on. And in most cases, the linebacker's a little bit bigger, except for good-sized backs like Broderick Green and some of these guys. And you got the new younger backs. You obviously can see who they are because they're making these, you know, technique mistakes and so on. So you're, you're seeing a whole different pattern of practice and not real game situations in spring practice because mm. you're going against different people and you're not getting a feel of who you're playing against you know what i mean yeah that makes sense and uh, you, you said the defense has an advantage in some of those drills they obviously know what's coming i think it happens a lot on the, the practice field where you see you know that they're they're running certain pass patterns and i hear it from the receivers a lot like well they kind of know what we're doing and they kind of jump the routes but it, there's a general cliche, and, and they talk about this in the beginning of camps, you know, spring spring ball, fall camp, stuff like that. The defense is usually ahead of the offense, and I, I think the defense has won just about every practice. Carroll actually said, I think it's three to two, the defensive one, but I think he's being kind. It looked to me, every I've been at every practice, and it looks like the defense has been ahead. Is that generally the case that, that you find out, you know, you, you think your defense is uh, well ahead of your offense just when things get right out of the gate? Oh, yeah, there's no question about it. <clears throat> because, first of all, the defense sees the same routes, as you just said, the same offensive plays. They know what the, what the offense does. They don't have to they, – they see saw it last fall. They've been working against it and so on. And 
the offense is just learning, especially when you have new quarterbacks and you have new offensive linemen that are in there and so on. And some of these kids are just trying to think, who do I have on this play? And, and all of a sudden you get up there and the ball snapped and, and all of a sudden you think you have the right guy and you don't have the right guy. Or they do a, a something in there that uh, you're not expecting. And most of, the, most of the plays in spring ball are script. And what I mean by that is the offense knows what defense the defense is going to run and the defense knows what offensive play they're going to run. They make this up, up before they go to practice. That way everyone knows what's going on when they put the videos together to watch the plays after practice and so on of what defense was called and what play we ran against that defense and what person should be open or where the hole should be or the center of attack or what audibles should have been called against this defense and so on. So you can point these out and it makes practice a lot easier and it also speeds things along. If you notice, when they go against team, whether it's seven on seven or they're going run game, there's very little coaching going on. You'll see the coaches do a little coaching, but there's very little coaching going on. You're coaching, you do in individual groups. I mean, if you start to coach during a, a drill, then you're coaching one guy and 50 guys are waiting. Okay. So you continually go, you go, you go, you go. If you notice in the pass rushing dri- dri- drills or so on, you'll hear rule, yell, you got beat, you got beat, you had no feet, next. Uh, because if you start coaching one guy and 50 guys are waiting and you've got the defensive coach there and the offensive coach there and people, you've got too many people standing around. Yeah, you got so that, that time on the practice field is very precious. I mean, the, the NCAA only limits, you know, a few hours a day and it's, you get 15 of these practices in the spring. So I, I guess you're right. I mean, there's no way Pat Rule could pull a guy aside and talk to him for five minutes and let, let everyone else go without a coach there. No, and where the teaching is actually done is on videotape later or in individual drills. You, you bring the kids into the office, and into your rooms when you have your meetings. You put these films up. Everything is videotaped. And you go through them and you say, see, you didn't step with your outside leg. Or see, you didn't step with your inside leg. Or see, you didn't extend your arms. You're standing too tall. You're not squatting. You're not getting off the ball right or whatever. Uh, and that's where you do your teaching and in your group work before practice and doing your individual work. But when you get the team or when you get run blocking or inside drill or outside drill or seven-on-seven seven or whatever you're doing, you see very little teaching going on. So you probably wonder, wow, it's just one play after the next play after the next play. And if you notice, you always see Sarkeesian with a play sheet in front of him so that everything is already stripped. Because why? He wants to make sure he doesn't forget a play against a certain defense. So he's got all these plays written out that he wants on on tape so that he can go in, sit down with the quarterbacks or running backs or whoever he wants to sit down with and say, okay, now this was the play against this defense, and now look what we did here. We did the wrong thing or we did the right thing or you should have checked off here or you should have dumped the ball off or you shouldn't have tried to throw the ball through the two defenders or you tell the back, now look what happened. They're running zone here. He went up and curled up right in the zone. Why don't you slide to the open area? Slide away from the linebacker. Don't stay in the linebacker's back. He, he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. And you go through all this. So your teaching is actually done off the tape. And if you notice, all the plays are already scripted down because you want to make sure you get all these things done and accomplished in the spring so you can teach on them not only now, but during the summer you can evaluate as a staff if what you're doing is right and if you like it, both offensively and defensively, and you cut all these up. So you put all the 
28 tosses on one reel, and you put all of the other pass plays on one reel, and then you have them and you say, this was one right, this was one wrong, this was we shouldn't have run this in this defense, and you have everything ready to go. That makes a lot of sense, Coach, and then you can kind of keep coaching even though you're not allowed to coach on the field. You can kind of use that tape to – the coach for the the rest of the offseason leading into fall camp and uh you know the players kind of talked about that a little bit i wanted to uh focus on the quarterbacks a little bit you did mention steve sarkeesian and some of the quarterbacks they had a, a not a great day on sunday and it, they got the struggles were even a little bit worse on tuesday uh everyone there was a lot of turnovers uh passes were a little bit off they, they did a lot of blitzing on defense and uh the the just quarterbacks have really had a hard time. They showed some mobility, but they were just they had a really hard time with the pass rush. We we did a feature today, uh, talked to Coach Sarkeesian and uh, Mark Sanchez after practice on Tuesday, and they kind of focused on the installation that they're still kind of installing the offense, and you know it's only day five of the spring. For the for the fans out there, I mean, and you think that you know Mark Sanchez has been in the system for three years. Is he still really learning the playbook? And how much more complicated is it than just everyone kind of thinks? Like, how much, how complicated is it to really get a full grasp on a, you know, not a professional team, a college, you know, high division college team's playbook? Well, they all vary, you know. Uh, some, uh, there's different philosophies too, Ryan. There's philosophies that, hey, we're going to learn one play. We're going to learn how to run this one play right we're not against all the defenses that we're supposed to run it against. And we're not going to go to play two until we can run it out of every formation we're supposed to run it out of. You know when we're supposed to run it or audibleize it. That's one philosophy. The other philosophy is, hey, we're going to throw it all at them, all the different formations, our entire playbook, or as most of our playbook, we're going to see who can grasp it, who knows it. We want to be able to see who can make the adjustments and so on, and, 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 and you can go that way. Uh, you know, there's two different ways of approaching it. If you want to look good at what you're doing, obviously you go real slow, and you make sure you understand it. If you want to throw it all at them and every day add three new plays or three new adjustments or whatever, you can do that too. And, yeah, yeah it, just because you've been there three years doesn't mean that you're ready to play. What I mean by that is it's different to just do it in skeleton, and it's different to do it against a live defense in front of you. And, and you have to be able to adjust, and you have to remember not on every play – when they're blistering and so on. Right now, the offensive line in the backs aren't picking up all the right people, so you're all, you don't have the confidence yet in your offensive line. You don't have the confidence yet that you're going to have enough time to make the correct read. So what you're doing is you're anticipating and you're throwing the ball and you're guessing and because you're not really ready yet to, to sit in there and, and read it right or throw the ball out of bounds or, or dump the ball off. And you got to know down-distance situations. Like, why would if you have eight yards to go, why would you complete a three-yard pass? You got to, and the receivers have got to learn how to get across the line or come back to the ball or slide to the wide open area. Or the receivers has got to look the the tight end or the slots got to look in and say they're blitzing, they're blitzing now. So that means I've got to run my route right behind the blitz. Linebacker's gone. I'm on a slant. The quarterback reads. They don't even. They just look at each other and they say, Hey, this is what's coming. And it's an automatic adjustment to the route. They haven't done enough of it to start to react to what the defense is doing. A lot of things you do offensively is reaction to what the defense did and does. 
uh, you know, they show you a man and they go to a zone, or when they blitz, you've got a hot tight end, which means the, the linebacker over the tight end, they're in a cover two, the safety's back deep, and, and the linebacker, you think the linebacker has coverage, the linebacker blows, the tight end just runs in the open area, and you're dumping the ball, you run straight up the field. Well, this takes time to do and to understand. It's like playing chess. You do this, I do that. So on defense, you know, like I say, you can line up in the wrong position, go completely the wrong way, make the tackle, and everybody's jumping up and down if you're a hero. So defensively, too, if you don't adjust to your weaknesses when you are blitzing and so on, you're going to get burned. So it takes more time offensively. because it, Remember, on offense, you've got to have 11 guys doing the right thing. On defense, you don't have to have 11 guys doing the right thing. All you have to do is a guy that makes a play. They call him a playmaker. So offense is ahead. Young quarterbacks are getting to see a lot of different looks. They're anticipating. They're forcing the football. They've got to learn to relax, stay in the cup. They're better off throwing the ball on the ground and not throwing the ball and saying they got sacked than to make a mistake. But they're not trying to do that in the spring. You know why? The young quarterbacks are competing to be a starter. So they want to make plays. They want to make plays. They want to get the ball in there. They want to hit a big one. They want to dump it off. And sometimes they're forcing it to make a play, but they're competing to be the starter. You've got quite a competitive position at quarterback, and you notice they're all about the same, but they're all putting pressure on themselves. And they're trying to do better than what they really need to do, just relax a little bit and... uh, grasp what they need to do, and don't worry about if they make a mistake. Understand what mistake they made. Yeah, I think the confidence level isn't as high as it was even just you know a couple of weeks ago when they were throwing the ball around. Obviously, it's a much different situation where you have linemen there. There's coaches there watching. There's a lot more pressure. I, I would still say at this point, if you had to grade, I mean, the coaches really aren't talking about who's ahead. Uh, Carroll came out and actually said that you know, it's going to be tough for Mark Sanchez to lose it just because no one's really done anything. I think either Mitch or Aaron Corp would have to beat him out, and certainly no one's doing that. No one's really tearing it up up there. What were your overall thoughts, and you got to watch those guys on Sunday? What did you think? How do you think they were throwing the ball? Well, you know, they're not, they're not as sharp right now as you, as you anticipate, anticipate them to be. They're not at the same level of Booty and Parmer. These guys were in the spring, and, and Matt Leonard. They're they're a new group of quarterbacks. Uh, the whole the whole impression of what I saw on Sunday was that they've got a lot of young players, a lot of young players, and they do have a lot of work to do uh, on the offensive line, on the defensive line. Um, I think the linebackers are probably one of the most experienced uh, positions. They've got good players in the secondary that have experience. Uh, the receivers, I'm still waiting to see them make something happen. Uh, at quarterback, uh, no, not one person stood out. Uh, one would make a good play, and then there'd be, you know, an average play. And they're not getting many reps. Remember, when you give a lot of reps to three quarterbacks, then you're not getting a feel, just like I talked a moment ago about the pass blocking. You don't get to see the defense down after down after down. You maybe get three plays, and then they rotate someone else in there. So you don't have a chance to do something good and, 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 and so on. So in, in the run-pass drill, uh, the, you know, it's a run drill, and maybe one every ten plays you throw a play-action play pass to keep the defense honest. Uh, in the seven-on-seven, seven, uh, you know, it's all pass. So 
The defense knows it's all pass. Now, where it really starts to show and where the team will get better is when you start your actual scrimmages. When it gets to be where the defense doesn't know what the play is, the offense doesn't know what the play is, when you're moving the ball, you have down markers, you have officials there that call penalties, uh, you have delay of games, you have the game situation. That's when you start to get better. You see who's going to surface, you see who's going to be the leader, because a guy might take two series. He'll take two series as long as he's moving the team and they're making first downs, he stays in there. Uh, then after so many plays, uh, he comes out, the next guy goes in there. And you give both Mustaine and Corp and Sanchez a chance to run with the first unit. It's not fair to have just Sanchez run with the first unit because then Mustaine's running with a unit that doesn't have the same talent as Sanchez had, same with Corp. So you've got to rotate with the, what, what you think is your first unit. So that all have tape and all have a feel of the best receivers and the best linemen and so on against the number one defense or number two defense. And you're able to evaluate weight them equally. If you don't do that, it's very difficult to evaluate them equally. Yeah, we should be able to get a good evaluation coming up, I believe, Sunday. It's tentatively scheduled as the first scrimmage. And, of course, uh, April 19th is a spring game, so everyone's welcome to come out to that, to the Coliseum. And, check out the competition there. We'll get to see uh, the more random plays kind of being run against each other where people don't know what's coming and we can see who comes out on top. But uh, that's all the time we have for this segment, Coach. I just wanted to thank you again for joining us. And I uh, thank you. And, uh, yeah, coming up after the break, we're going to have a special report from USC's Pro Day, which is today, April 2nd, Wednesday. So uh, a lot of uh, potential High NFL draft picks will be working out at uh, Cromwell Field, and we'll have a report from there after this break. You're listening to the Peristyle Podcast with Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey Hyde. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. And we're back with the Peristyle Podcast, Episode 8. In our second segment today, we have a special guest. We have from ESPN the Magazine and ESPN.com, Bruce Feldman. Bruce, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Yeah, Bruce and I were both down at the USC Pro Day today at uh, Cromwell Field, and we wanted to kind of give you uh, kind of our overall impressions of, of what went on down there. Um, probably like 14 or 15 former Trojans, and some guys even as far back as uh, Kareem Kelly and Sultan McCullough, Will Poole, guys from the past that came up, and, and they ran some 40 times as well. But the main focus was on some of the big guys like Cedric Ellis and Keith Rivers, John David Booty, stuff like that. But Bruce, what, did you, what were your overall thoughts of the uh, pro day today? Uh, my first reaction, I was surprised how fast Chauncey Washington ran. I, I mean, to me, I was expecting a 4-5-5, not necessarily uh, you know, a 4-3-5. I think that got a lot of people's attention. I thought Keith Rivers, you know, as, a lot, as most people, I think, expected, did really well. 
Uh, I, you know, just from talking to some NFL scouts that were there, I don't think they needed to see that Cedric Ellis was going to run a four eight or which he didn't. But they don't think they were expecting, and I don't think they needed to see it for the kind of player he is. And so I thought they were pleased with what they, you know, what they saw, how he worked out. And then you know, beyond that, I think you're talking about guys who, you know, if it was a chance for a Thomas Williams, who was for the most part a career backup to kind of show that he can play all the, you know every linebacker position and who knows he may be a guy maybe he'll not start in the NFL and maybe he'll end up being just a free agent but he's a guy I could see probably lasting in the NFL as a backup and playing special teams yeah I mean if you're versatility I think is very valuable in the NFL and if you have a guy that can come in and play different spots especially all different linebacker spots I mean he could probably work in a 3-4 or 4-3 Special teams, like you said, I mean, you can keep yourself employed for for many years in the NFL. Uh, Thomas Williams, he actually ran about a four seven forty. That was in his second run. They did not announce a, a time for his first time. A couple of the other notable times, Chauncey Washington, like you said, he uh, ran a four four three, and the spark timing the first run through, and then he ran a four three five, which was the best time of the day in his second run. Uh, Terrell Thomas, little disappointed. He was up in the four five range, four five one. Four five seven. Um, Keith Rivers uh, had a, his best run was a four five one. He ended up running a four five five in his, his uh, second run, but he had a really impressive workout in the weight room, and we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, Cedric Ellis was right around five. He had five zero and five zero eight. Herschel Dennis, who came out, he ran a four six four his first one. That was his best time. Fred Davis ran a four six and a four seven. And Sam Baker, his second time, he ran a five four, but it wasn't really a wasn't really a great time for him. Um, but one of the I talked probably the beard was slowing him down. Yeah, he he has that big beard out there. Uh, it was pretty good. And a couple of different guys. Kareem Kelly ran a four four four. Sultan McCullough ran a four four eight. Will Poole only ran a four seven four. And Daryl Poston, who was a, a running back several years ago, he ran a four five one. So a couple of those guys out there, they only got one shot each but it was kind of interesting to see some of those uh wow, former players the out there you remember him he was a i remember very he went to utah guy. and knowing somebody who played at utah said yeah he's a good talent he just always hurt and i guess that was his mo it just you know i didn't even know he was out there just hearing that name i remember people saying hey whitney lewis is out here he's going to work out and i was kind of curious to see what would have happened but we didn't get to see that. No, Whitney Lewis was dressed, and it looked like he was going to work out, but he, he did not. Um, didn't run any of the drills, didn't go through any of the position stuff. Um, I've, it's interesting. You're a national college football guy. For people that don't know Bruce, you can always check out his blog on ESPN.com, or he usually has nice features in ESPN the magazine. Um, you, you cover college football nationally. What? How much weight is placed on these 40 times? Because every pro day you go to, I mean, it's going to be slightly different. Uh one of the scouts that I talked to today said USC is kind of notoriously uh, bad at deflating some of their 40 times. And the, the announced times that came over the, the loudspeaker were not exactly meeting the same kind of times that a lot of the scouts you know, timed for these guys themselves. What, how much weight is put on that when there's no you know, standard? I think it varies from position to position. You know, if you're a defensive lineman, I don't, you're a defensive tackle, I don't think that that concerned if you're running a 4.9 or a 5.04 or 5.08 or whatever. But if you're, a, if you're a receiver, if you're a cornerback, I mean, a, a couple of guys I did talk to weren't thrilled with what they saw from Terrell Thomas. I mean, they see him as a you know, cover two corner, but at the same time, I think you know, his speed is okay. I think they worry a little bit about you know, 
just kind of change the direction and, and maybe ability to, you know, they say flip his hips and, and kind of get out after people. I think for a position like that, it's an issue. I think when you, you know, I go back to Lofa Tatupu a few years ago, he was a four seven four seven five guy, but he's really instinctive. And if you have a guy like that, I mean, I don't think Zach Thomas is going to run four five two, but he made a ton of plays in the NFL. And you see a lot of linebackers where if they're really smart, I mean, there are guys, Patrick Willis last year at his pro day ran a 4.38. He is, he is not the norm. You very rarely see a guy like that who makes that many plays. But I think if you look at maybe a receiver, Jerry Rice never ran, you know, a, a blazing 40 time, but he made a, you know, he makes a ton of plays and that's where football speed comes in. And, you know, talking to uh, one of the, uh, Tim Crumry, who's a former NFL player who had the, you know, has his own Crumry drill where he worked out the defensive lineman. He said, you know, whatever we do with these guys, whether it's, you know, the specific position drills they have or a 40 time or a shuttle drill, he said, you know, we want to see how they play on, you know, what happens when you turn the tape on, see what they do on grass in real games, because ultimately that's what they decide. These other things, you want to see how hard a kid works, how tough he is. But if his film isn't very good, they're not going to roll the dice that high on a guy like that. Now, you mentioned crumb ride drill, and that was very interesting the first time I saw that. Um, you kind of describe what it is to the listeners and, uh, it, you know, it's run with a defensive lineman. He's actually in there. It's almost like hand jiving with these guys. What, what's the point of that drill? And can you kind of describe it? A yeah. Bit? I mean, I was excited to, when I saw him here, cause a few years ago, I had done a magazine story where I happened to be at Texas's pro day when Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers were both obviously trying out to be really, you know, standout NFL defensive linemen. They were there and all the scouts kind of knew it was coming you know, almost every line coach in the NFL was at that particular pro day. And so they're almost in a circle. And this Tim Crumry, who played in the 80s with the Bengals, if anybody remembers when the Bengals were in the Super Bowl, I think it was 89, there was a horrific, you know, broken leg that they caught on videotape. It was like a Willis McGahee kind of break or, you know, one of those kinds of gruesome things. That was Crumry. Well, he's lost about probably 40 pounds since he, since he played. And he gets out there in jeans and cowboy boots and basically gets across maybe, you know, almost shoulder width a part of the of the other defensive lineman. And what he wants, he's going to keep him smacking at their chest, at their upper body, somewhere around their neck. And the, the defensive lineman has to swat his hands away and can't keep it there. And he wants to see the defensive lineman staying low and doing that. And it's a battle. And it's it's as much physical as, as emotional as it is physical. And this can go on from anywhere from 45 seconds I think Casey Hampton went for like two and a half minutes. And you saw it today with Cedric Ellis was the first guy to go. And, you know, at the end, you can see how heavy his arms are and how weary he gets. And you'll hear a lot of the, the scouts. You obviously heard some of the USC assistants and players trying to root him on to keep him battling in the drill. And then after after uh, Cedric Ellis went and then, then Lawrence Jackson went in, and it's it's a struggle. And I asked uh, Crumry afterwards because he's – Here's a guy who used to be a college wrestler, and he said, no, it's not one of those, it's not that drill. He said, I wanted something where I could get a, literally get a feel for how tough these guys are, you know, how how driven they are. To, you know, it's just about seeing how much they want to battle and how much they want to fight and what's going to happen when they, will they push past. And, I, you know, I think that he said, ultimately, if, there's, if their tape is good, you know, that's the most important thing, but... It's something he always does with his players. He just wants to get a feel for him. I think it's interesting for a lot of the other, the other teams to see. They know what's coming. I'm not sure how much stock they put into it. You know, I think they, you know, if Cedric Ellis lasted 45 seconds as opposed to a minute and 45, I don't think he would fall off people's radar because of that. 
He actually talked to Seth, and he said, you know, probably like 10 minutes after he ran that drill, I uh, did a little interview with him, and he was still tired from it. And, it, you know, you, could, you, you look at it, and it didn't look like it would be all that hard. But, you know, Crumlin himself was sweating by the end. He, did, he ended up doing three guys. He back did, to back, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he did Lawrence Jackson afterwards, and then he did Alex Morrow. And you could tell he was he was winded too, and from from doing yeah, that. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is a you know forty five you know forty five year old guy in jeans and cowboy boots out <laughs> in the sun, and he's going with like you know twenty two year old guys who actually you know Cedric Ellis is three hundred and ten pounds. He's probably got sixty pounds now on Chrome Ryan, maybe more, and just you know it's a physical battle, and uh, it's to me it was it's always the most interesting thing to see at a pro day. I mean. You know, you can see your your forty yard dashes and everything else, and people are curious at the times. Beyond the, sh- you know, knowing what an L drill and what the, what a good time is, I remember watching today um, when he when Keith Rivers was doing a shuttle, he must have slipped down on his first touch five times, and after a while, you know, you just see to yourself. Uh, he's going in an area where now the next three guys are going in that planting their feet at the same point. The turf's going to give. I I get why they do it. I just, you know, at some point, I don't think you really can take that much of it. Or the, here's just a time. How are we looking? Because if you like a guy, you're going to take him for what you see on film, not because he ran, a, you know, he wasn't 100% in the shuttle run. Yeah, and Cedric Ellis, actually, he's around 298, 297, something like that. He said he's actually about 11 pounds or so lighter than he was at the combine. And he kind of talked about, well, it was, it was on the banquet circuit a little bit. And he really wanted about three weeks to prepare for the combine. Um, so he feels he's in a lot better shape now. And, uh, you know, I think he had a pretty strong showing there today. Uh, you mentioned the linebackers and uh, Patrick Willis. Keith Rivers, I think he made some, himself some money today. Uh, I talked to uh, Mike Mayock from the NFL Network, and he was down there watching them do the vertical leap. He had 42 inches, and, and, and Mike was under the impression that it could have been higher. He said he hit the top rung um, and just kind of blew up uh, blew up there on that uh, drill and, you know, had a good long jump and, um, you know, good 40 times, four or five. It, I, I don't know. It just seems like he's going to go somewhere in the first half of the first round. It just, it, I don't see any other way about it. Yeah, I think he's a guy that they've been, people have been impressed with pretty much ever since the season went, you know, went on. I know from talking to a couple of guys who were at the Senior Bowl, um, a couple of NFL coaches, they said he, he, you know, he did very well. He's, you know, he's across the board very solid, you know, and I'm not sure that, there's, you know, some some there's a little bit of a question about consistency with him, but I think you can make the question about consistency with every guy in the, you know, people are talking about Matt Ryan being a top 3 pick. I remember seeing Matt Ryan play, you know, pretty mediocre against Florida State. There's consistency issues there. Obviously there's, you know, Darren McFadden wasn't great. I think it was against Auburn. You know, yeah. there's you can say there 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 are people you can say no matter what, they, you know, some days I saw plenty of Glenn Dorsey this year and I know he was battling you know, back and knee injuries, but he wasn't great this year all the time. I mean, at the beginning of the year he was, and then, you know, his injuries caught up. I, you know, you could, you know, who knows what, uh, if, if Keith Rivers was exactly a hundred percent all the time, but I think if I was looking for an, for a linebacker and I'm an NFL team, I think I would expect, you know, you'll get a solid player. Maybe you won't get Patrick Willis and maybe you won't get, you know, a guy who's going to make 150 tackles next year, but I think you'll get a guy who will be very solid across the board, make a lot of plays, and he's also a good character guy, and I think that's going to count for something too. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, one of the other guys I wanted to talk to you about a little bit about is Fred Davis. Um, depends who you talk to today. Some people thought he really made made himself some money and had a good showing, and then I talked to a couple of scouts, and they thought that uh, 
he, he struggled sometimes during some of like the three cone drill and the shuttle drills and stuff. And he was kind of falling. You know, he ran a decent 40 time. Uh, he, his best one was a four, six. Um, Mike Mayock actually told me that the, the highest he had him was at a four, seven, four, seven, one. So it just depends. I mean, I don't know if the scouts are going to see it as a four, six. Um, some people think he's the highest rated tight end. Some people have Carlson. They, they kind of move it around a little bit. Where did you see him compared to some of the other tight ends you saw this year? You know, I think he's good. I, I think that I was actually a little disappointed in what he ran because I was, I was, you know, expecting to see him get in the low four fives. Because I thought that's a couple of the guys I was standing around, you know, were NFL uh, assistants, and I think they were hoping to see him run, you know, a four four nine, a four five two, something like that. And I think one of the times that they had written down was like four six eight, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a huge difference. But I think they wanted to be blown away by Fred Davis because, again, this isn't a guy who's six six two sixty, you know, he's. He's, he was a guy who was a receiver and then grew into be a tight end, and he was very productive at SC, especially last year. Um, but I think they, he, may, he, he may just be a solid second-round pick in their eyes because I don't know if you look at him as, as the prototype. He's not, you know, the difference between him and Jason Witten, when you look at Jason Witten is a full-blown, that's what an NFL tight end looks like, makes a ton of plays, and also... You know, looks like he can you know hold up well. I'm not sure Fred Davis is that guy who's going to go up against a 280 pound defensive end and neutralize him. But then again, you know, if you're looking at Keller, the tight end from Purdue, who's more explosive, he didn't. You know, he's even less of a blocking option. You know, he's really more of an H back. Carlson, you know, doesn't have great speed at all. Now he did run a little better as pro day than he did at the combine, but I think you would have liked to have seen if you're Fred Davis, kind of create more of a separation between him and Carlson because if it comes down to it and those guys have close to the same speed I think teams are going to be open to Carlson as a bigger frame um he was you know I don't I don't know if you want to be I think both of those guys probably end up as second rounders yeah we'll have to see where they end up it's going to be an interesting uh battle I mean, it's funny how so many teams keep their uh cards close to their vest and you don't you know no they don't really want to talk about where they're picking guys and and you know your colleague, like Emil Kuyper, will say, I think Fred Davis is a mid-second rounder, and he might not get picked in the fourth round. Who knows? I mean, Or he could go late first round. It just depends on what these guys want. And uh, One of the guys that's interesting, I think he could go a wide variety of, of spots in this draft, is uh, John David Booty. He's the quarterback coming out from USC. We got to watch him throw the ball around a little bit today. He had a couple interesting receivers. Uh, uh, a couple of Mitchells. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie Mitchell from UCLA, and he played – years with the Eagles and uh, uh, Jason Mitchell, who was a receiver at USC also. They made a couple of nice catches out there for him. What did you think of him throwing the ball? Do you think he impressed scouts? I, you know what? I thought John David looked pretty sharp. You know, he's not going to dazzle anybody with like, you know, he doesn't have Jamarcus Russell's arm. You know, not many other guys do. I think arm strength wise, what, what I like about John David is I think he does have a good touch and I think he is accurate. I mean, you look. One of the things that I talked to a couple of guys who are USC coaches, and they said just uh, the least uptight guy here, very poised. Nothing seems to rattle him, and I I think that'll impress some people. You know, you could take it for whatever it's worth, and you can say he's too nonchalant or whatever. But he has been through a lot, and he has played a lot of football at USC at the very high level. And if he goes to a team, you know, like the Packers or somewhere, that's, you know, I talked to Todd McShay a little bit today, 
And, you know, we were talking, he said fourth round, the Packers, that would be a great fit. He slides into that system. John David, the one, I, you know, I talk, joke with his older brother about this, you know, who knows, maybe he could be Mark Bulger. Mark Bulger's a guy who was at West Virginia and was productive, not great. He's a guy who physically is not a guy you'd, you'd expect to see walking around the weight room and impress you. Uh, but he has a good arm, and he's accurate, and he's turned out to be a terrific NFL quarterback. And maybe that's what John David could be. He's not physically going to impress you. But he was productive, and I think he does have a very accurate arm. And he can make, I think he can probably make most of the throws the NFL is going to need. It's just, if you look at him, you're just saying, well, this isn't, you know, he's not going to wow you. Yeah, and, and obviously John David Booty had a, you know, he had a successful career, not like a Mark Bolger at, you know, he, at West Virginia. He won, you know, 11 games both of his years as a starter. He won the Rose Bowl twice, and uh he actually didn't do any workouts today besides throwing. He said he was just going to stick with his combine times. I talked to him a little bit, you know, uh, before he actually threw the ball around. And he was kind of excited about throwing to Freddie Mitchell and, and, and some of the older guys coming back. He also threw to, like, Herschel Dennis and Desmond Reed, uh, Fred Davis, Dale Thompson. Dale Thompson, I don't know, he, maybe he helped himself a little bit out there today. Yeah, the very, I mean, I went watching him i noticed him when he was running the shuttle drill and i remember thinking oh i forgot he's because he's a guy who i've seen on usc's roster and seen around usc forever and you always feel like oh dale thompson is going to be back for next year or whatever as a depth guy but you know along the same lines of matt castle and maybe thomas williams these are guys who probably never were featured at usc but they are athletic guys and you know, if you look at them in the line with the rest of the NFL guys at their position, they don't look like they don't belong. And so who knows? That guy will probably be in somebody's camp. I don't know if he'll ever stick. But he's not, you know, he's not awful at the very least. So, I, I you know, just watching him run a little bit today, I'm sure teams write his name down and keeping them in the back of the back of their mind that he might be a guy who, you know, can develop a little bit down the road. You pick up a late rounder or sign him as a free agent. He was kind of known as a blocking back uh, while at USC, but you know, guys like that, you know, he can, I think he can do a few different things. He might be able to make a roster somewhere. He ended up running a, about the same as Fred Davis. I think his yeah. best time was a four, six, seven. So I don't know who knows anything can, can happen there. I, you know, I think he's got decent hands, even though they didn't throw him the ball that much. You didn't really get to see him on the field catching balls for USC. But, uh, you know, I think he can show the scouts. He can do that. All right. Well, we're out of time for this segment. I just wanted to, uh, thank you very much, Bruce, for joining us. And I uh, wanted to let Give you a chance to talk about your book, Meat Market. I, I really enjoyed it. What, uh, where can people find it? They can get it on Amazon.com. Just uh, search for it, and it's right there. So I spent the uh, year plus with Coach O, and I know USC fans still remember him. So it was an interesting experience to be around him for a year and kind of travel all over the place and in his mad dash pursuit for Joe McKnight, which obviously – didn't go so well for the Ole Miss Rebels, but seemed to go pretty good for the USC Trojans. Yeah, if you like recruiting, it's a, it's a great book. Just a, it, it's amazing the access you got to be in their war rooms and hear you know, what he really thinks about players and how they can kind of hedge their bets when they're trying to recruit one guy, but they need to keep another guy in the loop. It, it's really amazing. So if you check it out, Meat Market with uh, Bruce, it's a really good read and uh, great stuff. Coming up in our next segment is the USC Campus Crawl. You're going to hear about all the sports at USC and hear from Erica Barden from, uh, about the USC football team. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for more of the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojans. 
Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. This is segment three, where we get into the USC campus crawl. First up, let's hear about the football team from uscfootball.com's own Erica Barden. Football. Hello, Trojan fans. This is Erica Barden bringing you your football fix as part of the campus crawl segment of our Parastyle Podcast. Five practices, five great moments, I'm going to give you my five best memories from practice so far to kick off this segment. Number five, Pat Rule, calling out Clay Matthews mid-interview. He yelled the name Fabio. Clay would beat me out in an audition for a Pantene Pro-V commercial any day of the week. Number four, we're going to go four for four on this one. Well, two for four. Quito, almost grabbing four picks. He ended up with a pair, but was sure close on the other two. So let's just hope he stays healthy. Number three, Ray's new calf tattoo. While I cringe thinking of the pain that went into it, it's a great way to find him when Howard Jones is as packed as Staples Center when the Lakers are at home. And if you haven't seen it, it looks like his calf is literally locked up in a high-security jail cell. If that doesn't scream, I may sever multiple limbs with one hit. I just don't know what does. Number two, this one is the most frightening of all, more so than Ray Maluga on an angry day. Kevin Ellison on Tuesday, instead of talking trash to Trevon Patterson, he actually turned him into trash, literally slammed him into a trash can near the Howard Jones entrance. It left a man print of Patterson's body that as of Tuesday night had not been fixed. And the number one memory that I have of spring ball so far also goes to Kevin Ellison. Right before I interviewed Kevin, the safety turned to Ryan and asked him how Russia was. Ryan later told me that he gathered that Kevin Ellison had looked at his pictures on Facebook. But the mystery is, Ryan and Kevin aren't friends on Facebook. So does this mean that Kevin might have a man crush on Ryan? It's up for you all to decide. Okay, so as Tuesday culminated, we were sure of a few things. We shouldn't be too worried about the losses of guys like Lojack, Keith Killer Rivers, and Cedric Ellis. Guys like Keto, K.E., Gallippo are doing just fine leaving their teammates on offense in just enough condition to maybe maintain a pulse. In fact, Gallippo, what do you think about the D's performance on Tuesday? We brought the huddle up and we were all giving offense a hard time because it was really turnover Tuesday. I mean, Quito, I mean, he, Quito had two picks, dropped two, Garrett had a pick. So, I mean, we really uh, came out today. You know, it was, uh, I think it was tied for the first four practices. It was two and two offense, defense, and now the defense got, got after the offense today. And, and really, you know, I can't imagine any team that we play being any harder than, you know, our offense and vice versa. So, Oh, we can. We can imagine you stepping it up to sniper level on the Buckeyes come September 13th, and we expect it. Chris Gallippo, by the way, might be one of the best interviews ever. How old is he, 35? I remember on signing day two years ago when we talked to him and thinking he must have done his first ESPN interview around age six, which is about the age that they start targeting future athletes, right? And for those of you that think there's no student in student-athlete, well, Chris Gallippo has a thing or two, maybe just one. 
thing to tell you about playing football. It's, it's a ton of thinking. In fairness to Gallipo, he was referring to understanding the plays at middle linebacker, the position he took over for Ray as he nursed his hamstring and thought about the next tattoo he might get, let's say, on his face. Um, I mean, I can't imagine anything else in college football being as, as dense and really as detailed as our, as our playbook is, especially being the Mike linebacker, you know, having to, you know, not only, you know, reiterate the play in the huddle and then, but then find out where the strength is, call the strength, and then make all the checks and, and still remember, you know, your run fits and what you got in pass. Another thing we can be sure about so far is that as the national media eyes on who is the starting quarterback, we just want to know when the quarterbacks are going to start looking like their star rating on Rivals.com. Pete, any thoughts? They're under duress. Guys are rushing now. Clay's having a terrific camp. He's really, he's really disruptive right now. And and, uh, and, and Gerald Washington and uh, Kyle, those guys are really getting off the football right now, you know, and so making some problems for him. Just, I think right now it's installation. It's just we've continued the installation to this point, and, and they're throwing routes for the first and second times, you know, out here. And, and uh, for, for Aaron and for Mitch, this is the first time they've been exposed to this installation, you know. When I asked Coach Sark about what he was excited about with the quarterbacks, his answer was, quote, Thursday. That's code for we're not really excited about anything yet. But you know what, Trojan fans? It's not like the players put that much weight into what spring ball means for the following season. This is really the time that defines your, your season, is, is how hard you work in the springs. In the words of Jerry Seinfeld, that's it for me. You've all been great. Until the next Peristyle podcast. Baseball. The 12-14 and 14 USC men's baseball team hit a rough patch, losing two games to Loyola Marymount before being swept three straight by number one Arizona State. But this week, the men of Troy tried to turn things around, beating UC Riverside and the University of San Diego 7-5 in each game. Next up, three games at UCLA for the big crosstown rivalry. Water Polo. Over the weekend, USC driver Veronica Batankova scored nine goals in two games for the Trojans in victories over UCSB and number six San Diego State. She earned her first career selection as the MPSF Mikasa Player of the Week. This weekend, the number three women of Troy host number two Stanford and San Jose State. Volleyball. The number 11 ranked USC men's volleyball team is fresh off a pair of victories over Pacific and number six Stanford, both by scores of three to nothing. Only one game this weekend for the Trojans, an April 5th contest at number five Pepperdine. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.